0: Welcome to Rich in Life, a podcast for anyone looking to be entertained while picking up a few tips on life, luxury, and resilience. And now your host, Rich Irani. Hi, Daryl.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: you? I'm good. How are you doing?
1: Oh, you know, just quarantining it out. How are you doing?
0: Quarantining it. I know. Same thing. We're trying to just quarantine it out. I'm trying to get the kids in camp, and let me tell you, it's not easy. The camp that we go to has been closed for the summer, so needless to say, my anxiety is off the charts, and I feel like I need you 24 hours a day.
1: (laughs) You You can ask me 24 hours a day.
0: I would never bother you, because I know how how expensive your time is, and I would never (laughs) waste it, but I am a chronic complainer. I mean, I can complain all day. But, you know, that being said, I mean, I'm trying to get through it with dignity and with grace. I will say I'm trying. I want to get through it gracefully. So when I look back, I can say, you know, I didn't scream at them as much as I I, I wanted to. And I was, you know, calm. But it's hard.
1: I I love that. One step, one breath, one day at a time.
0: Yes. And it was also a TV show, one day at a time, which was also good. We want to point that out. You're probably too young to remember.
1: I love it. I'm going to look
0: it up. Oh my God. She just said, I'm going to look it up. Wait, I'm I'm so depressed. (laughs) (laughs) I have to ask you a few things. I want to know a lot of things. First of all, I love, thank you for really doing this podcast with me. I'm really honored because I do know how busy you are. And for people that don't know who you are, you are the famous Dr. Daryl Appleton from New England, but you travel across the country teaching people and helping people about mental health. You know, you're no stodgy old woman. You happen to be a young, very attractive girl for whoever can't see, yes you are, which also kind of brings up a lot of questions. The first question I kind of wanted to ask you was how did you even get into this? Where were you in life that made you even decide that you wanted to get into mental health because a part of me thinks like you had these crazy boyfriends and thought, shit, I better get into mental health just if I want to be happy in life to try to figure them out.
1: I love that narrative. It's actually something more bizarre than that, I suppose. As a young kid, I was obsessed with serial killers. So, you know, my parents were probably very worried about me, but I always loved knowing why people did what they did. And after many a year of my parents kind of being like, well, there's other ways to do this. There's other ways for this to happen. Mm. They kind of pushed me into a mental health place and space and, and had me look at what other ways that I could help. So turning down jobs at prisons like made my father jump for joy. And then I realized in my career that, hold on, people who are successful have very similar characteristics to those serial killers. Um, so I found my, my happy medium of just, Wondering why people do what they do and what makes them successful and what makes them tick But it really did start with a love of crime, which I don't know what that means for me I guess I need to be means
0: that it means that you're dark and sexy. I kind of like that Did you have a favorite serial killer? I'm just curious.
1: I mean, you know, you have your quintessentials your Bundy's and you know your Dahmer's but it was always the women serial killers that I would found really fascinating um, I did
0: not know there were women serial killers.
1: Yeah, there's a few.
0: But Name I, I, one.
1: Oh my god! I now I'm blanking because you put me on. Okay, it's
0: fine. Spot?
1: There is one though. There was like a super prolific one in like yeah. England who used to go like kind of tag team with her lover or husband, and they used to like kill like children. Again, not a, not a fine. favorite because I admire it, but. Fine. It's always interesting when, when it happens, because people don't think women are capable of such things, which I always find right. an interesting narrative, because, I, I mean, do. careful, us women, we're, we're devious.
0: Um, well, here's the thing. If they would have killed adults, I think they could have been a lot chicer. I think they lost, killing children is where I think they lost, they could have been Bonnie and Clyde-ish if they were killing adults, maybe, that were, there you know, you not go. such great people.
1: There you but, go. Um, yeah. Yeah, what's her name? Janine something. She's a famous one in uh, um, America. I don't know why you get me at this point of the day and I can't talk anymore.
0: Listen, I'm glad you have enough to say. That's amazing. You're going to teach us a lot. And the fact that you work, for these Fortune 500 companies. And I know that what you do is you talk to the mail, people in the mailroom and the people that deliver the lunch. No, I'm totally kidding. You literally work with the CEOs of these Fortune 500 companies. So now, how stressful is that? And also, how did your appearance, I mean, did that help hinder? I'm sure it couldn't have, you know, it had to go both ways.
1: Yeah, I think anytime you walk into a boardroom or this beautiful office of a really high-powered exec, it's always a little nerve-wracking, especially in the beginning. And I think I'm 33, so I'm super young. So lots of these executives are in their 50s, if not older. And part of the reason they hire me is because I think I'm this young, cute thing And then all of a sudden I get there and there are F-bombs flying out of my mouth and and stuff like that. So I think they're a little taken back. I also think a lot of the ways I've gotten jobs is because my name is Daryl. My parents were very mindful, my mother especially, that women didn't necessarily have as many opportunities as men. So having a name like Daryl could potentially even get someone to look at my resume sooner. And thank goodness we're not necessarily living in a world where she grew up in. But it's definitely helped. People have uh, absolutely been intrigued. And when Daryl walks in the room and I have my pencil skirt on and my Jimmy Choos, it's always very fun to see the reaction that I get from people. Uh, And I love that. I love being this kind of walking contradiction of hard and soft and, you know, smart and pretty, which shouldn't be a contradiction, but apparently it is. It is interesting and it took some getting used to, but now I don't think about it as much. It's just kind of part of it.
0: Well, first I have to say that's an excellent trick. I'm so glad that I named my daughter Grayson without even having that in mind. Her name is Grayson without even knowing that. So they think that your parents are kind of really brilliant that they thought of all this in advance because it is true, you read and you know you kind of don't know. And if you're thinking you don't wanna hire a woman, you have no idea. So I think that's great. What were some of the reactions? Were there any reactions where you noticed men would suddenly you'd walk into the room and they'd find that you were Daryl and they'd be like, yes, I'll perk up. You know, they suddenly like, oh, did you notice any of that? Or did you notice people were like, what does she want? I think a little bit of both. I think oh, I, really. had,
1: I have had executives who have like stopped me in like the professional way of like, if I'm going to tell my secrets to this person, I want to know exactly who this person is and, and what, what their credentials, what they're doing. Sometimes I've had executives kind of say like, oh, is your boss Daryl coming anytime soon? Are you, are you with him? her or not even thinking it's me but it is interesting because I think women we have an advantage when we're talking about feelings and emotions Uh, we tend to be seen as less judgmental we tend to be seen as more of a, a vessel for carrying on that type of conversation more trustworthy in that so having that kind of edge is always very helpful where once we start talking you can kind of see people loosen up but anytime I'm talking with people about them and their emotions, sometimes people are a little tense because they're so guarded about it, especially in the business world, because that could be something that could, quote unquote, you know, disrupt their entire persona of who they are as this executive.
0: Yeah. How do you gain their trust? I mean, again, I hate to keep bringing it back to it, but you're young and beautiful. I, I, you know, this, I've been through therapy my whole life. I've probably gone through one million dollars in therapy through my entire life I've told you this and I and I did and I don't know if I would have walked into an office and saw a young very good looking person that I was attracted to the first thing I probably think is like I can't say what I really want to say you know what I'm saying I'd be afraid I'd be more I'd be more inclined to impress them
1: that is a very real thing and sometimes it takes some time rapport building is always something I've been naturally good at so being a coach and a therapist felt very natural to me. Being able to have purposeful small talk, to be able to disarm and help people feel, you know, in- engaged in the conversation has always been something that was very easy. So it's some of those tactics with a little bit of tricks. I found with my executives, my athletic side can- comes out a little bit more. I play basketball in college and overseas. So, Wow, this kind of- athletic too. I know the full package. My husband's oh. so lucky, but I found that this, this kind of, okay, I'm here for a reason. Why? Or like, I'm not going to waste your time. Don't waste mine. What are we going to do? Has also been a way to kind of disarm of like, we're here for a reason, Let's let's do this. Let's get into it. What's up. And sometimes people who are looking for help and looking for relief tend to just open up that, that, can of worms and everything comes out. And by the end of the session, they were like, I was not expecting that. I just couldn't stop myself and it felt really good. So that's always been a very cool thing too. By the end asking people, do you feel a little bit better? And they're like, yeah, I I do.
0: I do have to attest that that is very true. I've sat in my psychiatrist's office at a time when I was really depressed thinking he's not helping me. And I would say, you're not helping me. And he wouldn't even answer me. He wouldn't even defend himself. I said, you're not helping me. You're not saying anything. And then, you know, by the end of it, I left and I actually felt great. I felt I wound up saying things because he wouldn't speak. So I wound up saying things that I knew what was bothering me. And I wound up kind of figuring it out for myself. But these were different times. I I was younger. I was more with a psychiatrist. You know, now it would be a different thing. I think what you do is so much more helpful for immediate results right now for the now. Did you ever have to turn anyone away? Oh, yeah. I heard a rumor. I heard, I heard a story about a guy who was a sex addict that you were treating and mm-hmm. went into the bathroom and wanked off. And you this called him out on it.
1: This is a true story. Yes, I did. I am no joke. Yeah, um, we were talking about his proclivities to streaking and flashing and, you know, just overall inappropriateness. And... Sometimes you got to dig into what that is and you ask them questions and obviously
0: it triggers them, which is understandable. Okay, but pause, one second. (laughs) Wait, pause. So at any of this time, did you say, you know what, this is a a patient or a client I'm not going to take? At any point, did you say, okay, maybe this might not be the best idea? No. Uh,
1: To be honest, I was interested in seeing if I could handle it. So he came as a referral to me and thank goodness the other um, therapist kind of gave me a heads up and was like, just, just a heads up. This is what we're going through. I don't think I can handle it. And I was like, you know what? I can do this. This is, yeah, me. Let's do this. And after that, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't, know, if I want, I don't know if I want to deal with this and have to tell people like, no, you need to go now and Clorox the bathroom down because I don't want your, your DNA all over my bathroom.
0: Right. Right. It
1: it was, uh, and then we created a plan and I slowly phased him out a little bit um, into, uh, you know, somebody who specialized in sex addiction in its entirety. So it was an interesting learning experience. And I think it taught me a lot because I am phased by very little now.
0: Very. Right. I would imagine. So I have a question. Do you think that the whole sex addiction thing is maybe an excuse for people to cheat also? I mean, I do believe there are people that have sex addiction, and I feel like people that do have sex addiction are probably watching porn nonstop, looking, so it's got to be a constant thing. Somebody that's just cheating with random people, like, you know, the maitre d' or a girl, I don't know if I classify that as sex addiction. It's more like an excuse that you can use to, you know, just cheat. Sure. Have you ever been able to say that to anyone? I mean, has anyone called anyone out on that?
1: Absolutely. Again, I am not a light and fluffy therapist. So if you, if you want somebody to be super passive with you, don't come to me. Lose my number. Stop right. listening to this. <laughs> but for me, it's been like, you no, know, it sounds like you just want to cheat on your wife. Like I will say stuff like that. And I have said stuff like that in right. session. Of, I hear you. But have you ever thought maybe you just don't like being with your wife? Could that right. be the issue? Because it sounds like you're dating one or two people and you keep going back to them. You're not streaking through the woods because you can't help yourself. You're not having sex with every man, woman and animal that comes by at a truck stop. You're telling me that you are having sex with two or three people continuously. So one might argue, why are you married? Or why not right. talk to your wife or partner about having an open relationship then? So yeah, no, and some people need to be called out on bad behavior.
0: Right. No, I agree with you, because I don't know how much I believe a lot of these things that they talk about. A lot of things just seem like excuses. And let me tell you, it's not like I'm above any of them. I'm not. But at least I know if I'm a dick or not. You know what I'm saying? I I, I know if I'm being a dick, you know, so I know where I'm at. But sometimes I just want other people to own up to whatever it is they're, you know, they're doing.
1: Own your dickishness.
0: Exactly. Own it and say, you know what? I mean, listen, Brad's a great guy, but I know that I'm the controlling crazy one. But yet, for some reason, I'm the one that's always annoyed. He's not. I'm always annoyed. I'll never forget asking somebody that worked for me, do you know what annoys me? Because they were doing something. And they said, yes. I go, what is it? They go, everything. Pretty much sums me up. (laughs) But um, so I want to ask you, how did you meet your husband?
1: Oh, my husband, who is this adorable man. um, We met at a Halloween party. And it was my private practice. My business partner there um, was friends with. A partner at his private practice. He's a foot and ankle surgeon, and we just happened to be at this party together. And I got a, I got a. He slid into my DMs and mm-hmm. asked me for a two for one special if he could take me to lunch and maybe get some therapeutic advice. Right. And we, you know, we kind of moved really fast. Said I love you within three weeks and kind of moved in really quick. And here we are. And you know, I hated those people that were like, when you know, you just know. It's like you're full of shit. Um, but it's
0: true. So, it was true for you. Yeah. Which is, is great. It. So what advice would you give to girls that are having more, much more difficulty than you've had with your husband trying to find somebody? Because, you know, we live in a culture, you know, especially where I live and in my community and people around me, girls want to get married. They don't want to get married at 40. They don't want to get married at 35. But yet there is this kind of stigma that, you know, if you're not married by a certain age that you're a spinster or it's going to be harder for you. What advice can you give them? I mean, it's not easy to me. I know.
1: Right, right. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is something my grandfather always used to say to me. And he mm-hmm. said, a bride is a woman with her best days behind her. Um, so enjoy, <laughs> enjoy where you're at right now.
0: Okay.
1: Um, right. But it's, there's this kind of place and space of, you gotta date some dicks sometimes. Sometimes you gotta get out there and again, man, woman, whatever. Sometimes you've got to date the wrong person in order to understand what you need and what you're willing to put up with and what you're not willing to put up with. And sometimes you've got to date outside your comfort zone. My past relationships have been guys who, you know, played basketball in the NBA and, you know, lots of professional athletes because being an athlete and lots of very high powered people, I-, I was always just very drawn to that. And my husband is, Super brilliant, super good at what he does, but he's so humble and so kind. And, you know, aesthetically, he looked a little bit different than some of these guys that I dated. And, you know, younger me would have been like, no, that's not my type. But older me was like, I don't have a type. I want a good human being who sees me, who hears me, who treats me well. That's important. And I, sometimes you got to go through what not to have in order to understand what you need and what you deserve.
0: Yeah, you see, that's excellent. This should be playing twenty-four hours on a reel for girls because you can't there's no way to knock it into the brains of certain girls. And I know that you're right. And I say girls because I'm talking about younger girls always are looking for the gorgeous guy or you know, which they never stay gorgeous. And it's funny because I have the same philosophy as you kind of go for the chubby guy, something that there's a little bit of an attraction. If it's a smile, he might not be your type, go for him. You never know. You know, you can fall in love with a monkey. You know what I'm saying? And then suddenly you put him in Prada shoes and a cool haircut. And, you know, in his mind, he's the fat guy. So he's going to fuck you for the rest of his life. You know what I'm saying? Thinking he's the fat guy. But, you know, the joke is on him. because. So I kind of tell girls, go out of your comfort zone. Date the chubby guy that's been chasing you. And don't tell me, oh, he's not. No, I'm not attracted. He's not so gorgeous. I like gorgeous guys, fit guys. I like a six-pack. None of that stays. Nothing stays from money to six-pack to hair. None of it stays. So we kind of have to drill it into this new generation that you need to go outside your comfort zone.
1: There's also a ton of research that this whole swipe right culture, it's so much easier to be like, "Mm, they don't have this, so next, or they don't have a little bit of that next. So sometimes you got to work with what you got. I I love my husband to to the ends of the earth. It doesn't mean I don't want to bury him in the backyard some days. Like I just, you know, hold a pillow over his face some days you got to work through some stuff like that. It's not going to be perfect. And Disney has fucked us all up. There's no such thing as happily ever after. Like, especially as women, we have to get through that, through our heads. Like sometimes the problem is us. Sometimes we, we need to work on ourselves and be that best version of ourselves. Cause somebody, hopefully somebody out there is being the best version of themselves and working on them for us. And that's what you got to do. You got to work through some shit.
0: Well, yeah, I definitely believe in we have to be the best version of ourselves. But before I get to that, because I love how you take care of yourself and I want to get into that, but I want to go back to the point that you're right about the swipe right or left. I don't know, whatever it is, it's stupid because, you know, I always say that if you put me on paper, if I was ever on a website and I had to give my height, my age, I probably wouldn't get one person to look at me. But you put me at any bar and sit at a bar anywhere, totally different story. Cleaning up. You know, it's just like shopping. They're shopping. Oh, not the right height, not the right age, yeah. not the right this. Not, but so it's like I would be nothing. I probably wouldn't get one person to respond to me if I had to go on an app. However, you know, it's, it's a good thing me and Brad have been together for so long. I always tell him, you know, if you're going to break up with me, it's too late. You should have done it 20 years ago. because <laughs> I can't now go on an app, you know. <laughs> I refuse to go on an app. <laughs> I can do it. I can, unless I lie about everything. And I'm not big on lying. I, I really, I don't like to lie about things. I'm not a liar. So.
1: fair. I, I disagree. I think you would do wonderfully, but fair.
0: Nobody yeah. would even be on my page of the age. Oh. I mean, just the age and the height, because I'm, I'm not six really feet tall. <laughs> so I would get nobody. Everyone chooses six feet, under 35. So already I'm off for everyone. Good. So now it goes to tell you with women go outside your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Don't look on the computer and don't, don't go on, you know, whatever it is that you go on with computers like match.com and just think that you're shopping for a pair of shoes. These are human beings with hearts, with souls, and somebody could be so good to you. Give them a try. You have to give people a try.
1: Yeah, agree. That is great advice for sure. For and,
0: sure. and, and getting back to, uh, kind of, being your best you. Does that people find that a little contradictory of you being a doctor? Because you're supposed to be, you know, you are who you are. Could you see my quotes, anyone? I want to make sure you are who you are. I mean, but no, I believe you have to put your best foot forward and be, you know, best, be the best you.
1: Yeah, totally. I think it's, You know, it's so hard too with like social media and I try to be as transparent as possible. Like I don't have my shit all figured out. And if you want me to have all my shit figured out, I can pretend, but that doesn't mean it actually is. And I think so many people in our fields tend to be hypocrites of of some sort as we all are from time to time. But as long as we're trying, as long as we're making the effort, um, just because I have doctor in front of my name or the letters at the end doesn't mean that I know it all but it doesn't mean I'm not willing to try things to make it better. So I think that's really important of just understanding that wherever you are and wherever you want to be can happen, but it just takes effort. And, you know, the thing I tell my clients all the time is I can't work harder at your life than you do. Like that's the one promise I'll make you is uh, I'm not going to do that. So it's my job to make sure I'm healthy. Just as much as it's your job to make sure you're healthy, I'll help you. I'll be there. I'm your kind of, you know, sidekick with it. But you have to be the one driving the bus. I'm not going to do that.
0: That's actually a great quote. I love that. Um, Having kids that I have to actually now deal with the whole um, Instagram and all of that. I mean, this is a big, I think, that you know, I think this is a much bigger problem than people are talking about. I've been sounding this alarm for years now watching girls in bikinis in Saint same opening up champagne, while the girls that work for me are in the freezing cold New York City, you know, working their asses off, selling shoes and, you know, running up and down stairs. I don't know if that's healthy. I don't know if I believe looking at these um, Instagram photos of everyone having the perfect life or what they are showing you to be perfect is healthy. And I've been sounding this alarm, which is why I'm very minimal on social media. I go on it very rarely. I'll post a picture here. When I do, I'll check out other people's things. But I don't think it's so healthy to be looking at everybody else because it makes everyone feel insecure that they don't have enough money. They're not skinny enough. They're not um, having as good a time as they are traveling around the world as their peers. What can you say to that? Can you help people and have anything to say? Tell me. Because you can help a lot of people.
1: That's right. Okay, people, listen, listen up. Statistically, we are seeing that social media 1000% will contribute and even potentially cause depression and anxiety. It's a real thing. It's being studied. You know, they're hooking up electrodes to people looking at social media images and seeing brainwaves and how people are not getting what they need from these images. It's sparking envy and jealousy and issues with self-worth. And that's because we have no classes on how to view social media, the lens in which we see things. So it's really interesting that young kids especially are on it. The brain isn't fully formed till you're 25. So you put a 16-year-old with a phone in their hand, and it's kind of like a, a loaded weapon of sorts. And I know I'm being dramatic in saying that, but yeah. when it comes to brain and behavior, not really. They think that they need to be a certain way, or this is how women act. This is how men act. This is how couples should be. These shoulds. I hate these shoulds. Should, should, should. There's no such thing as shoulds. But it is really impacting the way that kids especially function. But I've seen grown adults kind of go off the deep end of being left out or have this FOMO. It's, it's intense. It's a, and it's
0: a real thing.
1: It's a real thing.
0: It's a real thing and it does cause depression. My advice to people that tell me stuff is I tell them stay off of Instagram. Just sure. stay off of Instagram. But I know that that's not really realistic for the young kids coming up. And, you know, I'm not so concerned with the elderly, you know, with the, not elderly, the older <laughs> folk, the older people, like my, my peers, my generation, your generation, because sure. you know what? You want to look and you, you want to make your life elderly. miserable. Say that again.
1: You just called me elderly.
0: No, no, no. I didn't really call you. I'm, I'm talking about the elderly. No, you're certainly not elderly. I'm talking about more my, no. even my people that I know, my yeah. contemporaries that are a little older than me that I know always have FOMO, even your age. But I'm not concerned about them because, right. you know, listen, you're smart enough to know we were around when we didn't have cell phones, or at least right. I was. I don't know if you were, but whatever. I was, I was. Okay, good. Finally, something, you're giving me something. (laughs) Thank you, Daryl. You gotta give me something. But the younger kids, it's just the fear is that we're just bringing up a bunch of douchebags. It's like, I don't want a world full of entitled, you know, I don't have what the other person has kind of kid. I don't want that. And that's what I'm afraid of. And it's, it's right in front of me. It's happening right in front of me. And it's scary. So I don't know how this is going to end. But you're gonna have to work very hard. You're a young girl, and you're gonna have to come up with stuff for us.
1: It's, it'll be interesting to see if schools start to address it, you know, if they're if we start teaching more soft skills, we don't, you know, think about all the shit you and I learned in school that we've never even applied. Like, I, I don't know, calculus, I don't need anything with calculus, right. but I wish I would have learned about self-esteem. I wish I would have learned about healthy communication. So it'll be interesting to see if, curriculums pick this up somehow or if there are teachable moments that parents can see with it with stuff like that you know I tell lots of young people I have a bunch of 20 somethings on my caseload I don't usually see younger because then it gets into like a, a weird place right. with um, legal stuff but I think that anytime you have something that's causing you distress, you got to be able to identify what that is and put an intervention in place to change it because it's not going to get better. The thing that distresses you is not going to change. You have to change or you have to change it. So audit your timeline. Don't follow people that make you feel like shit.
0: Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I think I think that should be implemented as a curriculum in school, more important than calculus and the other stuff you were talking about. I think it needs to be implemented. Maybe you'll be the one to do it. What do you think are like the major things that hold people back from success or from finding the right guy or girl or from just anything? What do you think the things that I could, I mean, you talk to enough people and you have to like have insight into this? What is it that holds people back from love, from success?
1: Self-awareness. I think if I were to put it in one blanket kind yeah. of term, either... I am too self-conscious or I never think I'll get that. So this narrative starts to play out. I'll never, I'll never find somebody as great as you have, Rich, or I'll never be as successful as, as that person. Um, these are self-limiting beliefs. And at some point, self-fulfilling prophecies. Our brain goes in the direction that we point it. And how we think and how we feel is a direction. So if you think you're a piece of shit, guess what? You're going to feel like a piece of shit and you're going to act like a piece of shit. It's, it's just as simple and as difficult as that. So I do think that in these measures of success, we tend to see people who go into careers that don't fulfill them and they do it for the money. I would argue that's not success. I would argue that success is something that you have joy in and it brings you joy. And it's this 80, 20 relationship of 80% of the time. I love what I do or I love who I'm with 20% of the time. It's allowed to be a little messy. So there's no right. such thing as hundred percent, but instead we strive for these perfections or this unrealistic person or job or set of ideals. And it gets us down that we're not good enough or it'll never happen for us. I call bullshit on all that.
0: Okay. And how much of it do you think are the parents to blame for some of it? I mean, It depends.
1: It depends. Your, your parents teach you your worldview on some level. Friends play a part, where, culture, where you grow up, how you grow up. My parents were always very open and honest with things. Um, there wasn't ever this kind of awkwardness of talking about things. It was, you know, penis, vagina, baby. Sometimes like when parents tiptoe around things or they don't allow their child to express natural feelings or emotions or questions, Sometimes it stifles and it makes a kid feel like, oh, God, my mom reacted weird or my dad like kind of like left the room. Like, I don't want to disappoint them. I don't want that to, to upset them. So let me not say anything. But, you know, we can't blame our parents for everything as much as I'd like to. And as much as right. you know people do. At some point, we need to know better so we can do better. But as parents, yes, our job is to allow our children a safe space to think and feel And answer questions with sometimes questions of like, I I hear you. I don't know the answer to that. What do you think about talking to somebody else? That's a perfectly acceptable parenting response.
0: Great. That would be me. Because (laughs) I really long for the days of learning about sex on the streets. I don't want to have to talk to my kids about sex, vagina, penis. I don't want to have to talk about, I mean, we do now because they're little kids. I always tell them nobody's allowed to touch you. But I mean, when you get older, I don't think I'm so old fashioned. I can't. I just learned it on the streets like I did.
1: I'll Send them over to me. They can come visit me.
0: Daryl, you're going to be on our speed dial. I'm going to have to, uh, yes, we're going to have like, uh, what is it called? Uh, Money every month. We're going to have you on a (laughs) retainer. I know that you work a lot. What do you do for your personal fulfillment, fun, your beauty regimen, any kind of secrets? You know, I've been in the fashion business for so long and. You know, there are so many misconceptions about fashion. People always kind of wear the, the, the wrong thing or don't wear white after Labor Day or uh, an ankle strap cuts your leg. I don't believe in a lot of this stuff. I feel like everyone needs to wear what kind of works with them. Like if you're a girl that wears hats, I'm not a hat person. Like when I see a person with a hat on, it taps a hidden rage in me. But I'm also not normal. But I mean, if you're just like a hat person and you wear a hat every day and that's your thing, okay, that's your thing. There's no judgment there. But, like, to dress in kind of, you know, themes kind of drives me crazy. What's your, what's your look? What is your go-to look? What is your w- look for work, and what is your look for going out?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely am not going to admit to wearing a hat, even if I did. Not now.
0: <laughs> you can wear a – listen, you can be headless. <laughs> and you're going to still be perfect in my book. We're not going by you.
1: I love that. No, I don't wear hats, though. I think I am very classic and simple, um, whether that's going out or work. I like comfort, so I like lots of stretchy bodycon dresses. I got a nice big butt, which is a gift and a curse. Um, show
0: me, show me, show me. Stand up and turn around. I, do you want to? <laughs> i Do I'd uh, love to. Yes. <laughs> I want to see if you're willing to do it. I want to see it. Karen, I want to see your box. I'll send you some good bum pictures. Okay. You can put them good. up send at the go. Okay, good. I want Yes. Send them to us, please. I'm holding you to it. I will. I will. Okay.
1: Um, so I, for me, it's lots of really kind of just chic, very classic pieces. I'm a New Yorker at heart. I grew up five minutes from the city in Jersey. So my wardrobe consists of blacks, whites, grays, tans, and maybe some army greens. And I love every second of it. But for me, it's, it's. I need it to look effortless and easy. And as you know better than I do, sometimes it's very hard. So certain staple pieces with like a really interesting neck or a really interesting silhouette sometimes does the work for you. So I don't have to work as hard. I am a big, huge believer in work smart, not hard. So if I have a piece that just does it all for me, I'm, I'm happy, I'm there. And then I like the transition to, to day to night. I'm also a jeans and a t-shirt kind of girl on the weekends. I have no problem with a, Good pair of sweatpants either. So right. I think it just needs to speak to you and you need to feel empowered by the clothes you're in and feel really beautiful or sexy and successful before you even leave the door, like before you leave your house, before you walk out the door. Um, so that's. I also- agree with you.
0: I, I try to implement that with my kids as well. At this age, you can't wear leggings outside their pajamas. Of course, they go to school and they see kids in leggings. No, they wear, I go, no, no, no. But we don't do that. We wear, we have stretchy pants. They have little buttons on the side. You know, we don't wear leggings. Like I and no, you know, we don't wear T-shirts, but they don't want to wear a collar. But I have to say we're very similar, me and you. I'm the same coloring, same colorations, exactly the same, very understated. But yet the effortless look takes work. Yes. It takes work. I mean, I like to look effortless, but it does, you know, it, it takes work. I remember my mom many, many years ago. I mean, my shirt was half tucked out. And, you know, my pants were a little short. I wasn't wearing socks, which was kind of the look. And my hair, when I had a whole thick head, was like sticking out. And she, my mother would tell me, you know, fix your hair, tuck your shirt in. I said, Mom, do you know how much effort this takes to not look like I look so good? I'm like, worry about you and your Gloria Vanderbilt jeans over there. Not jeans, but whatever she was wearing. My mom never wore jeans, but whatever it was. Right. But yeah, so it is kind of, uh, it's, 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 everyone has to have their kind of vision of the way they want to be perceived and they, what, the way they want to look.
1: Totally. Yeah. Which
0: which brings me to another question. Women that like to just show. Now, I've had girls that have worked for me. And in the freezing New York City, they would come take off their big, thick coat and literally be naked, like the boobs hanging out. And the heat would be blasting the entire day. And women would come in with fur coats. Yes, they wore fur coats. They put to the Upper East Side. They come in with their fur coats and run out the door. And I used to tell them, what are you coming to work naked for? Who do you want to impress? The UPS guy? Like, I, that's one thing I just never got is, you know, I get it on the runway. You know, I've seen girls naked in sheer clothing on the runway. You know, listen, they're surrounded by cameras. They're surrounded by bodyguards. They're on a stage. They're getting paid money to do that. But in the real world, I mean, who do you want to impress? The garbage man, the, the the post office guy, the mailman, somebody else's husband? Who? So what does that, is that a daddy issue?
1: It could be. It could be that that's how they feel good, you know? Sometimes it's a, you got it, flaunt it. Sometimes if you're using it, I guess it would it matter on your intention. If you said to me... I have great boobs. I, I like them. I want them out. I'd be like, girl, go for it. But if you're like, you know what? I like the way people react to me when I wear this shirt. I'd be like, cool. I want to talk about that a little bit more because that feels a little bit different right. than you love this shirt on you.
0: Right. Okay, fair enough. I will say in my next life, we have a deal. I'm coming back as a girl with a huge rack. <gasps> there you go. Although yes, I'm, I mean. I'm an
1: ass girl myself. I do. Well, I'm biased, but I do love a good, but don't. Yes.
0: Yes. You know, oddly enough, and my sister is going to kill me for saying this, but she's been analyzing asses her whole life. And she's happily married with four children and grandchildren. And this girl still looks at other girls' asses to perfection. I mean, she'll point out a perfect ass from like a mile away.
1: I love her already.
0: Yeah, you would. You would actually love her. She's very funny. What are your guilty pleasures? Do you have any? You probably don't feel guilty about anything.
1: Candy. Ugh, yeah, I don't really feel that guilty about it. No, I am like, a, I've always been in college. I had a drawer that we would, that would get these like stupid desks that nobody did any work at. And I would just fill mine with different candy. Every drawer had a different, um, I don't mix my candies. I ate my nerds oh, separately so by color because I'm maybe a psychopath. Um, you can ask my college. <laughs> right. But you know, I, I like stuff that's sweet. I, you know, I like to go out and I have fun and dance and you know, be around uh, people who make me feel good. I'm a little bit more of an introvert in the sense that I have a good three hours in me. And then I'm like, hi, gotta go. See ya. Gotta go home. Gonna read. But yeah, no, I, I tend to do things that feel good and I tend to audit myself on why they feel good to make sure they're aligned with who I am and who I want to be. So I've always been kind of really good at, at measuring that and being aware of that.
0: That's great, so you're a sugar girl, not a chocolate girl, I got that, you're more of a sugar girl. How much more sugar have you been having? And now I really wanna see that S because during this quarantining, I'm curious how much more sugar you've probably been, because I know that not being out and quarantining is difficult.
1: It is difficult. I have a Peloton, which is my saving grace, thank God. Of course I, you have
0: a Peloton. Uh, listen, I you're am You're the a, commercial, you're the ad for it.
1: I am a groupie for Peloton, hire me Peloton. Yeah, no, that has been super helpful. Actually, my husband and I went off sugar for the last seven days. For him, it's super easy. For me, I'm like clawing at my my neck for it. But yeah, it's been tough. And because it's a comfort food, and our we're we, we're not feeling comfortable right now, people are leaning into vices like sugar, alcohol, you know, texting their ex, all things that are not good for us, and you know, are detrimental to our health. But that's kind of what quarantine's doing. It's pulling us into a place where we just want to feel safe and comfortable. And with that sometimes comes bad behaviors. It's way easier for me to grab, you know, some nerds than it is for me to go on a walk. So you got to force yourself to do it or force yourself to jump on the Peloton. Not But it's
0: interesting. You said something I never thought of before, because, you know, I do believe that the pandemic is not as bad as everything else that's coming with the pandemic. Like the pandemic was really bad, but at some point, you know, we're having suicides, depression, people drinking. But you said something that I never even thought of, people texting their exes. And yeah, it's like it puts people in a very bored um, situation. And yeah, it's, it's really not good. And for me, my kids, they know all about social distancing, but they don't realize that when we get home, you're supposed to social distance from me. They're not social. They're still on top of me. And I don't know who to call. (laughs) <laughs> I was going to call Dr. Fauci and say, my kids are not social distancing. <laughs> Who do I talk to? Please tell them.
1: Send someone. Yeah, Send no, I've here. seen that as an uptick in um, some of my clients and my private practice and even some of my executives, you know, these, the, the X thing for my, well, some some of them are single execs, some are not, right. but it's this comfort. It's this band aid on a bullet hole to quote Taylor Swift. It's, You know, everyone's baking banana bread, but no one's dealing with their feelings. We're just kind of adding stuff on rather than taking this time to really process and think about, you know, who we are, what we're going to do, what we're going to change, what we can do more of, less of. But instead, we're baking banana bread, texting our exes, and binge watching Netflix, which there's nothing wrong with that, but also like,
0: to what point? Exactly. So it's funny. I just interviewed um, somebody the other day, and she loves sleeping with married men. She just, married men was her thing. And she would knew they were married, and some of the married men actually even had girlfriends. And she knew that they were married with a girlfriend, and she still kind of, you know, slept with them, and all these men would have affairs. And she said that even when she wasn't having these affairs with married men, there were all these married men that were, you know, cheating, and she cheated on her husband. Is there any advice you can give to married people that maybe the spark is not so there You know, you go through periods where when you're together a long time, any stranger seems more appealing than your partner. I mean, they can be half as good looking or half as sexy or half as beautiful, but yet it doesn't matter. It's just somebody who you didn't see throw up, somebody who you didn't see get sick. Do you know know what I mean? So what advice can you give to, to people that are dealing with maybe kind of either wanting to cheat or cheating or being paranoid about their spouse's cheating?
1: That's a great question. There's a lot of neuropsychology that love is actually a chemical. So I'm super romantic, but love is a chemical called neuropeptide oxytocin. And women have more of it than men and it's to bond us to our babies. Men also have it, but it's so we don't like drop them on the you know, front steps of a fire department and leave them there when they're being bad. It keeps our, our species safe. It also makes us wanna have sex. When you break down the mechanisms, it seems very bizarre. So this neuropeptide oxytocin, it bonds us. The same thing as like cocaine is in the beginning, there's a spike and it feels good and it feels great. And it's almost like an OCD kind of reaction. I'm obsessing. I'm thinking about this person. I'm wondering about them. I'm looking them up. I'm calling them on the compulsion side. I want to see them again. But then all of a sudden it naturally dips. I don't feel the same way about my husband on our first date and I'm not supposed to. But to your point before, social media, movies, Hollywood makes us Seem like we should. I feel differently about my husband in a different, more connected way. But it's not like it was where I'm like, oh, I just need to have you. Now I'm like, did you take out the garbage? Okay, then let's let's plan in some time then. Um, now you're
0: hot to me. Did you take <laughs> the garbage? You know, you're looking better to me now. You're hot in here.
1: Absolutely. So it really is this kind of understanding that we need to have, where other people are going to spark that chemical, and it is a high. So we get high off of having either emotional affairs, which maybe there aren't any physical things happening, but there's still that spike in that, uh, that adrenaline to it, to full on blown affairs. I would argue that if you always chase the high, you're never going to have anything but small bursts of high. It's, it's going to dwindle no matter who you're with. You have to work at it. You got to be mindful that relationships take work. It takes time. You got to section out time for yourself and be available to to different things in your relationship in order for you not to want to bury them in the backyard.
0: Is online attention different from face-to-face attention?
1: So from again, like that scientific standpoint, when we are face-to-face, there are more things firing, more synapses, we get more rushes of dopamine when we touch. Uh, When I do couples therapy, I'll tell them, even if you're mad, like try to at least hold pinkies, like sit next to each other and have your arms touch. Because lots of times touch will kind of flood the system, so online it gives it like that. You know, it's it's there, but I would say in person probably has a little bit more. It's a little bit stronger. Online will get the job done for a quick high if that's what you're looking for, right. but no, it doesn't last.
0: Would you consider that kind of? If you're married and you're having some kind of a interaction with somebody, would you consider that cheating?
1: I think it depends on the couple. You know, some couples are like, listen, as long as there's not sex, meaning, you know, genital on genital, I'm cool. Some people are like, if you text another person and ask them what time work starts, like what time the Zoom call is, that's cheating. I think it needs to be comfortable for both people in the relationship. It's when the mistruths come in and you're being semi deceitful that it could be unhealthy. Cheating or not, whatever you want to call it, I would argue that the communication starts to break down and it's not as healthy as it could be.
0: So that's great advice. So what advice would you give people that have sometimes, you know, that little thing inside of them that they're bored and they want to kind of go online while their wife is upstairs or even women that are, you know, maybe secretly attracted to their friend's husband, this flirting. What advice would you give them?
1: Check yourself before what? you wreck yourself. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's normal and it's natural. You're a human being. But I would argue... If you were sitting in front of me or someone was sitting in front of me saying like, this is what I do, I'd be like, okay, let's, let's take a TV timeout. What is it that you feel like you can't go to your partner and talk to about this? Like, what do you feel like you're missing? And can your partner give that to you? And if not, is it really that important for you to have? Because then we need to talk about, should you be with this person? Because if you're going to look somewhere else, it could be a lot more hurt or maybe ask your, your partner if it's okay that you're doing that. I did an article with Ask Men not too long ago, and it was kind of like a Dear Abby thing. And it was about this couple who one partner was getting nudes, and he was just really upset that his partner kept getting these nudes. And the partner was kind of like, well, I like them, and I just use them to jerk off. Like, why? That shouldn't be a problem. It's not cheating. And I kind of responded back to him. I was like, if you're uncomfortable with it, that's a problem. Your your partner can't gaslight you saying it's not an issue when you feel like it's an issue if you 're upset by it then yeah you 're allowed to be upset but if you 're not upset by it, then it doesn 't matter if your mom thinks that it 's weird or your sister thinks that, that it 's weird or the you know, male person thinks it 's weird doesn 't matter if you 're okay with your partner getting nudes and jerking off to them
0: cool right well but this is not- why therapy, this is why therapy is so important because they need somebody to tell them that some people have their own idea of what cheating is but no anything that makes your partner uncomfortable that's it your main priority i think is if you to make your spouse comfortable and to feel secure and if they're not making them feel secure then there's something wrong there yeah i mean cuz the flip side of it too is they could be getting everything if they wanted it but some people just get bored i find that people just get bored it's more i would say probably more men than women because like you said earlier women have this innate you know a woman really could fall in love with a monkey and the monkey will cheat on her. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, look at Christy Brinkley and, and, and her husband. I mean, there's a perfect example. I mean, a woman can fall in love with a monkey, which is why I always tell women, and tell, I tell girls, just go on a date. He wasn't my type. I went out with him once. Try one more time. Just go on a date. Just try again. You never know.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: a few times it's worked out.
1: Yeah, I agree. Well said.
0: Are there any clues? For somebody to know that their partner is maybe has a roving eye, are there any clues to know? Like, do you think
1: human behavior is kind of easy when you look at it from a baseline perspective? We all have baselines. Some of us run more anxious than others or more depressed than others. That's our baseline, it's just who we are. Any deviance from that baseline can give you clues. So, if your partner's usually super attentive or you know, super engaged in your conversation, and then all of a sudden isn't, or is looking at their phone more, or is not around as much. I'm not saying they're cheating. I am saying maybe talk to them like, hey, is there anything going on that I should know about? Or, you know, what what's up? In the beginning of the relationship, if he or she is constantly looking at, you know, every person's ass that walks by, and they're like, listen, no, I, I just love a perfect ass. That's one thing. But if they're like, what? No, I'm, I'm just checking out the the sign over there. But then get you used
0: know. to it. If somebody's saying they're checking out someone's ass, they like it, then you know you're making that your bed.
1: So that, when you get older and after
0: you have kids, when they're checking out asses, just know that you have to, you knew that from the beginning.
1: That's it. And that's okay. You have to be okay with it. Sometimes people don't have to change for you. If That's who they are. And that's who they're always going to be. And you knew that right. in the beginning. I also will say to my couples, like, has he always looked at asses? Cool. Like, He's the guy that always looks at asses. You've decided to marry him. That's okay, I, but that's who he is. Right.
0: Yeah, because you know, as time goes by, women I think get more secure than insecure than men. As well time you goes guys by.
1: age amazingly. I mean, look at you. Jeez.
0: I'm eighty seven. I look pretty I mean, good, right?
1: Uh, except for Cher. Cher and her mother, I just saw Cher. <laughs> right. Cher's mother Cher still has is like a mother. Oh my God, she looks amazing.
0: Oh my, I didn't know I got to look this up. I can't yes. even believe Cher has a mother. I'm jealous. I said, I lost everyone when I was young. I can't believe Cher has a mother. There is like, sometimes I'll meet people in the street and they look like a thousand and they're like, oh, I'm going to visit my mother now. And I'll, it's like, thank God it doesn't come out because it's like on the tip of my tongue. I want to go, Do you have a mother still?
1: Here really, a lot but. at the cemetery, you're going to see her. Yeah,
0: right, exactly. Oh, you mean at the cemetery over there? Like, No, no, she lives right down the block. looks Good. She probably does. Oh my I gotta I gotta check that out. Mm -hmm. Well I gotta tell you all right people think that gay couples are so open like you know they have open relationships that they can do whatever they want. Has the perception changed at all nowadays to that you think or do you think people still?
1: I think people it depends. I think people the straight community is just jealous with you know, and they're just thinking that you guys have so much fun and don't know that marriages work no matter who your partner is. So I think like some people who are not woke will always think like somewhere else is better or, you know, the stigma or the, you know, the stereotype is a better word attached to that. But, you know, it's interesting because I do have a few gay couples that I work with in couples counseling Mm -hmm. and their problems are like anyone else's, you know, it's kind of like, I need I need this to happen in the relationship. And it's not. I think also, you know, when you think about testosterone, lots of people think, you know, oh, there's so much masculine energy and there's so much more sexual, you know, tension happening. But just like any other couple over time, there's no research that really supports that that's something that's actually true.
0: Okay, good. And do you find that like in within straight circles that the perception has changed a little with gay couples or
1: yeah, I think, yeah. you know, I, my, as my father says, everybody has a right to be miserable in marriage. So, you know, I think
0: it's, <laughs> first of all, I love both your parents. Their sayings are perfect.
1: They're nuts. They're both, their sayings they're
0: both. are perfect. That's it, why I love them.
1: But it, you know, like everybody, everybody has their shit and I'm, I'm happy that, you know, these younger generations, we're seeing things really shift and people being more open and understanding And I think asking questions before assuming is something that I'm seeing, you know, come up in a respectful way. But at the same time, you know, having people assume will always be there. That's just something that's always going to happen.
0: Right. I know how successful you are. So this is kind of going to be my last question. For people that are starting companies, early startup companies, young women, I know a couple of friends, you know, three, four employees, what do they have to do? Is there a secret or uh, maybe not a secret, but what can they do as a startup with just so few employees to kind of catapult themselves to the success that they could maybe perhaps become?
1: Get a coach. I, I'm get biased, coach. but I'm... get a coach, get a therapist.
0: Perfect.
1: Get yourself Perfection. so much- Yeah,
0: perfection. You just answered it. Perfection. Get a co- I agree. So great. We're going to leave it on that. And I like get a coach, get a therapist, get a psychiatrist for, I think for everything, I, I do believe that it does help. I think the investment we make in ourselves is the most important investment.
1: Absolutely. Well said.
0: And I love you for, ha- for coming on my uh, podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: I love you for having me. Thank you. Yes. And not only
0: that, you're going to be hearing from me because girl, I got problems.
1: Good. Listen, I am yours.
0: All, All right, great. Anytime. And I'm yours if you ever need anything.
1: Perfect. Careful. I careful. have
0: access to any designer, <gasps> practically, that you need. Don't so tell me that. <laughs> anything you need will we'll, we'll get you styled up. Not that you need it. I mean, the truth is you really don't, but still, okay, if you do.
1: I mean, I need somewhere to go, and then you're my first call.
0: You and me both. What size shoe do you wear? I'm curious. Nine. Okay, good. That's become, that's become the norm. When I first started in the shoe business, seven kind of was the norm. That was the size you buy the most of. And then as years went on, it became eight and now nine. So believe it or not, yes.
1: I always thought believe I had a it foot.
0: Or, No. Oh, no, not at all. no, average. No, no no, you, no, no. It's average. So now, ironically, we buy more nines than we do sevens and seven and a halves. Wow. So when we buy shoes, yes. I
1: wonder yes,
0: every, I, I think just as time went, everyone's feet kind of got bigger. I think that the people that were nines years ago are now maybe tens. So we carry up to size 12 these days. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's in the food. Who knows?
1: Interesting. Yeah. All those hormones in the milk.
0: <laughs> right. Exactly. Who knows? Well, thank you for really being with me. And yeah. I can't wait to meet you in person and hug you.
1: Yes. Oh, I can't wait. I not I love my husband, but I would love to hug somebody else.
0: <laughs> you know what? That's a great idea. I should probably hug Brad at some point. There you go.
1: There you yes. go. Oh, Brad. Well, thank don't you, you again. You. All right. Bye,
0: Rich. Send me the pictures. Oh, I will. I will. Hug right yours. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you've been listening to Rich in Life with Rich Arani. If you liked what you've heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes or visit us at richinlife.com. That's R-I-T-C-H in life